Good afternoon. Good morning. Today is uh, Thursday, April 2nd, 2020, and we are recording a uh, another edition of Knowing God with Heart and Mind, the virtual church classroom of Shiloh Church in Jasper, Indiana. I'm here with my lovely daughter, Bethany, and we are in the process of doing a study of the great divorce by C.S. Lewis. We're using a terrific guide from Brown Chair Books written by Alan Vermelier. And uh, someday he's liable to tell me I've been saying his name wrong. But anyway, uh, we uh, are studying chapter six and we are, I guess, ready to get into it here. Go ahead and end that. We, we just did a little live promo while we were setting up here. And uh, that was just a way to give people an idea visually of what our process is like. So thank you, Bethany, for uh, appearing on screen. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, there's a lot to be said for doing audio only. You, know, mm -hmm. you, you can come in and sit in front of a microphone and whatever form you find yourself in, you're okay. So, uh, chapter six, the divine waterfall and the heavy apples. So I, I think what's really remarkable as, as I read this story, because I have a great affection for this story. And yet I know that people, uh, who have read it have expressed some difficulty with it at times. And I, I get that. I really do. But I think that once you get past some of the sort of traditional British, uh imagery and if you start really reading with an imagination wide open here's here's what happens you begin to realize that lewis is trying to get us to understand that there's not much about the world we live in that is as real as what god intended it to be that He's basically saying that the apples are heavier in Eden, too. That, you know, when Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, they stopped being in a place where everything was larger than life as we know it. And I think that's what he's trying to say, is that, that you know, you think about the most impressive, beautiful thing you've ever seen on Earth and realize that it is a... Uh, micro scale version of the reality that awaits us in God's presence. So I think that's a profound thing that, that Lewis is trying to communicate to us. Um, as he explores his heavenly surroundings, he's finding that his senses have been altered and that what that that they were gray too on earth, that not only was the land of gray, uh, the way that it was, but our senses had become dulled to anticipate only the grayness. And so now he's having his senses awakened and, and revitalized in a way that's really uh, just kind of overwhelming him. He says, on earth such a waterfall could not have been perceived at all as a whole. It was too big. Its sound would have been a terror in the woods for 20 miles. So he's just, this is one of the ways in which he describes the, the, the significant difference in scope 
of the place called heaven. So what does Lewis continue to experience and learn about his current form and his senses as he explores heaven? Bethany? Well, kind of like he was already understanding in the last chapters, was that, like, he... He doesn't seem as corporeal as other elements around him, but the elements also just seem to be almost aggressive to him because, like, he talks about how when he steps away, like, he's when he's off the bus and he steps away, he falls down and it's, like, painful. Mm -hmm. Um, so then he's, like, he's just seeing more and more of that, like, that the water is bruising and everything, like, everything is just, like, overwhelming mm -hmm. to yeah. all of his senses, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, it just, it's just startling. And, and I think for me, you know, I'm, I'm nowhere even remotely close to Jack as far as my understanding of scripture and theology. I mean, I'm not, I study the Bible pretty thoroughly, and I think I know the Bible pretty well, but I have nowhere even come close to being as scholarly and brilliant as Jack. So I say that right off the bat. But what I do know from reading Scripture is, is that everything he's describing is based in Scripture. Um, for example, the sound of the waterfall. As soon as I read that line from The Great Divorce, I immediately remember how... Uh, in the Revelation, John says that when when the when the Lord speaks, it's it's so profoundly loud. When the light of heaven shines into His reality, it's so bright that He can barely stand it, mm -hmm. you know. And and so in the Revelation, and then there are other sort of beatific visions that have occurred in Scripture that also relate the same information that that when the glory of God's presence is revealed to mortals, mm -hmm. sinful mortals, it's overwhelming. Yeah. You know, and it's usually described as light and sound that is too hard to, to handle. But it's so, so there's nothing he's saying about heaven that doesn't make sense. And, and he goes on to describe, I'm probably jumping ahead a little bit, but he goes on to describe how it becomes clear to him, especially as his guide explains things to him, that as you move toward heaven more towards the center of heaven, the more you adapt and become acclimated to heaven. And, you know, that that's the whole point. And it's sort of also reverse described in the way that the guides are, are always talking about how they had to go through a great deal of discomfort in order to come back to where these people are because they're sort of moving from having been adapted to heaven's reality to trying to dial it down and adapt again to the fringe mm -hmm. where the newcomers are. Yeah. Is that a fair assumption? Mm -hmm. So what ghost does he see seeking, uh, sneaking through the trees and around the waterfall? Uh, from our previous study in chapter two, what do we know about this ghost and his plan? So this is the, he calls him the intelligent ghost when they're on the bus or the intelligent man. And he's the one on the bus 
who was saying that he had this great idea. He was going to go to heaven and visit and bring back some of the real stuff that was there because he was talking about how none of the stuff in the gray town is real. And so he was going to bring back some of the real stuff back to the gray town. So he didn't actually ever intend to stay in heaven. Um, but he's going to try and pick stuff up and take it back because it'll, it'll get hit, you know, it'll make life better for him. Um, but his name is Ike. Yeah. And what was Ike um, trying to steal and what were the problems he encountered doing so? Well, he wants to steal the apples, but they're really <laughs> heavy um, and he can't lift it to they're even take it back. golden apples, to the, by yeah. the way. But, like, he, he cannot pick them up at all. And he tries really hard, but he can't lift it to take it to the bus and he gets really annoyed. And then there's this really terrifying moment when the waterfall speaks mm -hmm. and it says, Don't. Yeah. You know, I got yeah. to do like a comedian mic trick there. Fool. You know, fool. And you can just sort of imagine uh, how terrifying that must have been for him, you know. So, uh, Note the capital T on tree mm -hmm. that Ike was attempting to steal from. Uh, what does that imply, Bethany? Well, I think it's probably the tree of life. Yeah. The tree. And so let's read some scripture. Genesis 2.9 and Genesis 3.24, for starters. Genesis 2.9 The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 3.24 After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Hmm. And then Revelation 2.7 Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So what significance might there be in this tree? And why do you think God has limited our lifespan and barred us from the tree that can provide eternal life in this world? Well... The significance is that it's the tree of life. Yeah. Like, that's what it is. Um, and sin barred us from it. Yeah. And because sin brought death into the world and the tree of life is supposed to sustain life. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Now that we are sinners, and this is an age-old question, um, people will say, well, you know, why did God put a tree in the garden in the first place that they're forbidden to consume from? And why is it a tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Um, there are no simple answers to this question, but basically my interpretation is this, that the tree is there because it's part of all created and orderly things. It's, it's there because there is truth, absolute truth. And God is the source of that truth. 
And the truth is, is there is good and evil. God knew this before establishing the Garden of Eden, and the gap theory suggests that the earth was dominated by evil, since that's where God cast the uh, evil one, Lucifer, and those who followed him. And so they created chaos on the earth, and then God cre created a place of order on the earth. He, he created a, a footprint. Mm-hmm. On the earth, uh, he sort of opened a channel from, uh, I'm picturing something in my mind, I'm not sure I know how to describe, but if you can imagine a, a, uh, a portal between God's presence and God's reality and this chaotic place called earth, it's like a garden because it has boundaries. You know, that this portal could be like, a, 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 gosh, forgive me for this term, wormhole. Because whenever I picture a wormhole, I always imagine a, a pipeline, mm -hmm. you know? And so if you can imagine this this huge tunnel, like, uh, when I say portal, I mean like the channel, where you go in one end and you come out in England, you go in the other end, you come out in France, mm -hmm. right? So what I imagine is that Eden was at the end of a portal, tunnel-like, between God's reality and the chaos on Earth. Mm -hmm. And so it's an extension of heaven. On Earth, Garden of Eden is a, is a place on Earth where heaven exists. And so this is all there. And it's real, including this tree that contains the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, the tree gives them sight that makes them able to see the chaos outside. And once they comprehend this chaos, then they have to choose between... God's order and cosmos or God's or, or the devil's chaos outside. And there are things that are tempting about the chaos outside. And so God's just telling them, if you want to stay in here, the best thing to do is just avoid that altogether. Just don't go there mm -hmm. and don't risk knowing what you don't need to know. Yeah. Um, you know, I gosh, when you guys were little kids there, you know, you, you, there was this moment when you became, young adults or, or teenagers and and you realize that your mom and dad had long lives before you were ever born and that we have history in our lives that precedes you and maybe there were things that I did or or knew or or experiences I had before you were born that I never told you about and there wasn't particularly anything bad about it but it just didn't seem like anything you needed to know and then one day you did some digging and you found out that I used to be an EMT because you found a certificate in a box somewhere that showed that I was an EMT. And you said, oh my gosh, dad, you were an EMT. Did you see any really gory stuff? And I'd say, yeah. Well, why didn't you ever tell me about that? Well, why would I tell you about that? Mm -hmm. You know, why do you want to know? Do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, So I think that's how I interpret the tree of knowledge of good and evil is God just told him, you know, if you just avoid this tree, it'll be better for you. Because if you take from this tree, then you're going to be aware of things you'd have been better off not knowing. And if you become aware of those things, then you may give into the temptation. And if you give into the temptation, then you can't be here anymore. And I don't want that. Mm -hmm. So then if you take my sort of tunnel idea, you begin to understand why God barred the entrance. Um, it's almost as though Satan somehow found a way to penetrate that barrier. And then God has to create a more forcible uh, uh, prohibiting mm -hmm. 
force to prevent entry into that again. And uh, so it's very remarkable in, in when you think in those terms, and that's how I view it. So then you roll the clock forward to the end of time when we are going to be able to go back to that tree. Yeah. Because we will have been sanctified or made holy by that point. And when we go back as sanctified people, we can look upon that tree and we know what it contains, but it only gives us eternal life because we do not desire. Because of Jesus, we don't, sin no longer has power over us. Um, the problem with Adam and Eve is they had really no defense against temptation and sin. And so we do now because we have Christ. Christ crucified gives us a defense against the, the power of sin and death, which means that we can, we can embrace that tree and not give in to the knowledge that it contains that would lead us away from God. Yeah. So, so that's, what do you think about that? It sounds good. This is this is my word picture of that. So I've gone off a little bit, but I think that for a lot of us, that's something that they're really hungry to understand. And so, listener, if you're finding this helpful in your understanding, please do me a favor and let me know. Um, during this this social distancing, uh, coronavirus lockdown, um, it's really important that you communicate. And we ask you every week, but right now. It means so much to us when we're producing these materials to hear from you and to know that you're being blessed. So drop us a line in the Knowing God with Heart and Mind uh, Facebook group. Uh, drop us a line through the traditional uh, communications channels. Uh, we'll talk about that more as we conclude. Okay, so number five question is, who stops Ike from trying to sneak back to the bus with an apple? And why can he not take it with him? The waterfall. The waterfall. Fool. Put it down, he says. Put it down. The waterfall stops him, and when Jack looks at the waterfall more closely, he can he sees that it's still a waterfall, but he also sees like this angel standing there. That is the waterfall. Mm. Um. So it's an angel that's talking to Ike, but. He says you, because Ike has actually kind of like up to this point, he has succeed is the wrong word. He has he has had some success in his attempt to move the apple, like inches. Like it's not like he's just got up and run over to the bus, but he has moved it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And the angel kind of yells at him and says that there's no room for things like that in hell. Like he can't take it because heaven can't like hell can't handle something like that you know it, it just dawned on me um i'm jumping ahead but i think we did this in the previous episodes that the the thing i'm still blown away by is at some point lewis is going to be shown where he came from to get there and he and his guide are going to have to get down on their knees and look at a little crack in the dirt yeah between two blades of grass, yeah. basically. Now, that being said, you can understand why trying to drag one of these apples down there is, a, is an insane idea, you know. And the other thing is, is this is a time, a place outside of time and space. So I wonder how long it took him to move one of those apples, you know. Half an inch. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of amazing. The Hebrew word for fool is nabal meaning an irreverent person who has no perception of ethical or religious truth. 
senseless. It does not refer to intelligence. Now that's really important. So according to so some... So it's like people who are really smart but have no common sense. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, Jesus says not to call people fool or raka. And, and it's always bothered me because every now and again, quite honestly, I feel perhaps judgmental and that's why Jesus tells us not to do it. But there are times when I see people who are smart enough to know better who are just being foolish. In fact, during this coronavirus outbreak, I see people who are not taking the warnings seriously. And I want to say, fool, mm-hmm. you know, and and it's Put sort down of, the car keys. you know, I'm not <laughs> I'm not judgmental when I'm looking at someone's actions and I see that there's an irreverent lack of, of, uh, in, of, of sense there, you know, and, and I, I don't know, it's, it's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. So, um, according to Psalm 14, one, he or she is a fool if they claim there is no God. So using John three sixteen and Matthew 28, 19 to 20 as guides, how should Christians treat those fools who claim there is no God? Well, why don't you read the passages to us, and then we'll see what kind of answer we come up with. So Psalm 14.1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, their deeds are vile, and there is no one who does good. John 3.16. I feel a little funny reading it off the page. Because you know it so... (laughs) For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That one too. Yeah. Okay. So, so how are we supposed to respond to the fools who say there is no God? Well, I, I did a, a online class last night, which is the newer... In, incarnation of my Wednesday night class that we used to do in the church. We've been studying Islam in that particular class. And, and so that's a closed group, by the way. You can only listen to that one or watch that one through knowing God with heart and mind. So that's another reason to join that group. Um, but when you do, one of the things you're going to hear us talking about is how do you talk to your Muslim neighbor, your Muslim friend, uh, about the differences between Christianity and Islam and one of the things we talk about emphatically is, is that you don't do it by criticizing their religion. You don't do it by condemning their beliefs. And in the same way, you really won't get very far with the person who says there is no God if you think you have the authority to say, fool, right? Mm-hmm. Because, because you don't have that authority. In fact, the implication in the great divorce is is not all angels have that authority, but only the one who's big enough to be a waterfall that is inconceivable on earth. Mm -hmm. So there are obviously hierarchies among the angels, and not all angels can say such things with the same authority. And so taking that all the way back to how you deal with your non-Christian friends who say there is no God, or worse, they say there is another God, and that God is probably more like satan and and or is a manifestation of satan's uh worldly fleshly you know consuming nature um 
what do you say to them? Well, you don't call them a fool. You don't call them names. You don't tell them they're stupid. You don't label them. You don't condemn them because they don't, they won't respond to that. What you say is, is God loves you. And God sent his son, the one I worship and believe in, because that is his best way for you to come home to be with him where he dwells. Yeah, it's kind of funny that you say that because last night in our class, our topic was, is Christianity the only true religion? And it was the same thing. We always start with a real life scenario and the scenario was literally what happens if your Muslim neighbor starts asking you questions and you're trying to figure out how to say, well, this is why I believe that Christianity is the true religion is, um, but what was really funny about the lesson, and I think maybe some of the kids were kind of surprised, was we didn't, this, we're doing an apologetics class on Wednesday night, and the cool thing was the author of this particular lesson didn't give them a bunch of ammunition for fighting mm. with their neighbor, we concentrated on first Corinthians chapter 15, which is basically Paul giving a really early creed. Mm -hmm. Um, and we basically focused on that. And then we focused on a, a chunk of Isaiah and it was literally just doing that, like saying that God loves you. And this is what he did mm. in response to that love. And that's how you, you explain that Christianity is the true religion. It's is so, the one. So it just goes right along with the whole. Vermelier gives us a really perfect transition then. So would you read Luke 12, 16 to 21? And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. So the Greek word that Jesus uses for fool is aphron which means without reason, senseless. So when you use that definition, what do you think Jesus is saying about the man's foolishness? What constitutes, what, what makes, why is he a fool in Jesus's eyes? Because he's been blessed with abundance and keeps it to himself. Yeah. And says, well, I got what I got and now I'm going to relax. Yeah. Something I've been saying, a theme that I've been rolling around all of the ways that I communicate with others during this separation through coronavirus shutdown, is that I believe when this is all over, we'll all have a pretty clear idea of who the givers are and who the takers are. And I don't know what that means exactly, but I think when it's all over and life seems to be normal again, there will be a memory of the ones who were so giving and the ones who were only on the take. Yep. And that we're not going to just forget that, which I don't mean in a judgmental way. I don't mean that in a vindictive way. I just mean we're going to know each other better. And we're going to know who pulled out all the stops to give everything they could. Mm -hmm. And we're going to know who just hunkered down and kept it all to themselves. And, and if ever there was a time for this parable to ring true, yep. 
the fact is, is coronavirus is indiscriminate, and we don't know that a very wealthy person in our neighborhood won't die from it just as much as the same day the poorest person in town dies of it. Um, it has more about it has more to do with your physical vulnerability than your financial and social vulnerability. So you may be a marginalized person by society because of your lack of wealth and your poverty and that sort of thing and 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 the condition of your car and your clothing and your your body odor and all that. And you'll have as much chance of getting it as a person who has wealth and and fine clothing and fine vehicles and and uh, is clean and you know so so death is indiscriminate in a lot of cases and I think that's why Jesus says this guy's a fool because his wealth and his societal uh, position has nothing to do mm-hmm. with saving his life so proverbs twenty six eleven. oh this one's gross proverbs twenty six eleven says as a dog returns to its vomit so fools repeat their folly so why did the angel say that ike was a fool because he's still trying even though he's getting literally getting snot beat out of him by trying to carry these apples and he's still doing it anyway so he he's like so wrapped up in getting what he wants that it's going to lead to his own destruction well an often quoted saying attributed to einstein that is often used poorly mm-hmm. is insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result which is a poor way to explain what albert einstein meant what he was saying is is if you keep doing what you're doing and you keep getting what you're getting you're a fool <laughs> you know i mean at some point you have to recognize that you can't pick this apple up and take it with you it's not going to work at some point you have to see that this is foolishness yeah and insanity is believing that it's not foolishness and doing it anyway. So what Einstein or what the what the quote suggests is that's insanity. But what scripture suggests is that's foolishness. Mm-hmm. And foolishness is probably a lot better way to describe the senselessness of man trying to steal the apples and a lot of other people uh, who are trying to make their faith and their relationship with God somehow fit their human fleshly comprehension of life. So yeah. uh, what's the angel's solution to Ike's problem and his desire for the apple? And did, uh, did he, uh, did he take up the angel's suggestion? Well, no. So the angel says, if you want the apple so bad, why don't you just stay here? Yeah. Stay and figure out. He says, like, stay and learn how to eat them. Um, and he doesn't. He doesn't seem to take the angel up on his offer because um, Jack kind of like watches him walk really painfully back to the bus. Mm-hmm. So you don't know if he's still trying to carry the apple or if he's just in so much pain from trying. Yeah. But he doesn't. He goes back to the bus. So. So Ike's character really illustrates the pathetic nature of selfishness and greed mm-hmm. 
and he's willing to undergo severe pain and suffering just so he can try to make a profit in hell yeah even when what is being offered to him is so much more fulfilling he can have an abundance of apples if he just stays so how does 1 Timothy 6:10 further describe Ike's struggle with greed well that's that's the one that talks about the love of money being the root of all evil right um, so it says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So I think it's just when you're so wrapped up in what money and lots of other things too, but when you're wrapped up in what money can do for you, you lose sight of the contentment that yeah. comes from and, and maybe a more, yeah, maybe a more realistic way to, to, to look at this, and I don't mean more realistic, more down to earth to, to where we live today, is, is, is that there are so many people that go to church and profess Christ who haven't changed their lives in any particular way because of their faith in Christ. Mm -hmm. They don't seem any different from their neighbors. There's nothing about them that really stands out when they're in a crowd. And it isn't that we're trying to be a standout. We're not trying to be, you know, because even that, because there's, there's a kind of Christian vanity that you see too. I call it pop Christianity. You know, uh, you're wearing the Christian jewelry, you're wearing the, the Christian shirts, you're, you're uh, uh, you know, bragging about how you don't do that sort of thing because that's not what good Christian people do. And, and you know, it's a vanity in itself that, that I, I don't want to suggest that. Yeah. But but there should be a distinct difference between you and your non-Christian neighbor. And it should be pretty obvious to the people around you. But there's so many folks who are trying to marry the things of heaven and the things of earth. And they're trying to live on the edge. And mm -hmm. I think that's what Ike was doing. Is He, he was thinking, well, I, I want the benefits of heaven, but I want them down here in hell. Yeah. You know, and I think that's exactly what this means. And there's a lot of us that are trying to live that way. We're trying to, we're trying to have all the the, the benefits of being highly regarded by human beings, by being wealthy in human standards, by having the things that bring comfort and security by human standards. We want all of that, but. We're not willing to give any of it up in order to enter into God's grace fully and to live under God's precepts fully. Mm -hmm. And so we're all struggling with that. But I think for many, many people, church has become very accommodating that way. Yeah. That religion has become very accommodating that way. Even celebrating their earthly significance by giving them positions of authority within the church because they have positions of authority outside the church by giving them control over aspects of church life because they have the wealth that the church craves in order to accomplish its goals. And, and so uh, one of the most frightening things a pastor has to do is to say, no, I don't care what you are outside the church. I don't care how much money you have. If we give in to this pressure, then we're blurring the line between heaven and earth. Yeah. And this is supposed to be a place where we aim for heaven and we move away from earth, mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah. wow, that was a good one. Uh, gosh, that was, they, they're all good, I think, but that one was particularly insightful for all of us. 
Um, can't wait to hear what people think of it. Uh, well, that's pretty much it for, for lesson uh, episode 7, chapter 6. We'll go to chapter 7 and episode 8 uh, in a week uh, in our next podcast. And uh, Bethany and I are going to lay down a couple more of those today. So they will all be recorded on the same day, but you'll get them once a week. Mm -hmm. And uh, we uh, encourage you, like I said, to let us know how you're feeling about these things. And uh, in the meantime, we just want to say thank you for listening. If you want to communicate with us, go to the Shiloh uh, Facebook page, Shiloh United Methodist Church of Jasper, Indiana. Uh, go to the Knowing God with Heart and Mind group and, and communicate through that. If you just want to visit our website, it's shilohum.org, or you can do shilohjasper.org. Either one works, shilohjasper, one word, uh, .org. And you can uh, go through the webpage's resources and, and find our pictures and our contact information. You can shoot us an email. If you call the church right now, well, we're mostly not there, but we do get voicemails uh, and we try to follow up on those in a timely fashion. But so, you know, to be quite frank, if you email us and, or, or message us, uh, that's probably the best thing to do. But we do want to hear from you. Mm -hmm. But for now, we just want to say thank you for listening. You honor us with your, your faithful participation. God bless you. And we'll see you next time. Bye.